Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. Today, I am joined by Dr. Lauren Kerr Hurley. She's an award-winning educator and an author who has dedicated her career to transforming lives through education. Fun fact... She's also She was also homeschooled. I'm super excited to delve into our topic today about executive functioning. And believe it or not, it's not just students who find themselves with a possible deficit in this area. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Why don't you go ahead and give us just a little bit of your background and how you became involved in homeschool, kind of not even of your own volition. <laughs> Yes. Well, so I was homeschooled K through 12. And I like to say my parents were homeschool pioneers because we were one of two homeschooling families in my entire town in Wyoming. So things have changed quite a bit from then, but I really loved being homeschooled. Um, and I graduated when I was 15, went straight to community college, which I also loved uh, so much that I am now a community college professor. <laughs> so as a student, I had a really good opportunity to learn about homeschooling. And then now I teach a lot of homeschoolers through the community college system, either in dual credit or recent graduates. And I'm also planning to homeschool my own kiddo. So I've gotten into a lot more kind of homeschool groups and discussions as of late. Do you find it interesting that because you were homeschooled, like you didn't automatically want to homeschool your child because I'm the same way. I actually didn't, I resisted for years about homeschooling my own children. I think it's, you know, it's something we considered um, when we were looking at educational options, we considered homeschooling, private, public, whatever. And it just seemed like it wasn't quite the right time. Um, but now that our kiddo is getting to middle school we want to road school and we want to do all these things that um, we think would be beneficial for our whole family. So it's, yeah, it is interesting because it, it it's always different with your own kid. And it's part of why homeschooling works is because you can tailor it to what their needs are and you can start homeschooling and then go to public school and then go back if you want. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility. That's nice. I think it's a common misconception that if you were homeschooled and you don't choose to homeschool your children, that must equate you you had a negative experience. And that was not at all the case for me. I really enjoyed homeschooling. It just didn't fit our family at the time. Exactly. And, you know, my sister who was homeschooled with me is homeschooling her three kiddos. And so we both had a great experience. It was just more the needs of our family, which is what we all want to really look at is what is the best possible educational situation for our kids. And now you find yourself surrounded by homeschool children coming up into young adulthood, looking to you and wanting more information at a higher level of learning. What has been your experience as you see this next generation of homeschoolers coming up into the collegiate realm? So 
One thing that I see with every teenager, regardless of their educational background, because you can prepare them with all the right SAT classes and all the subject tutoring, and you got the essay writing coach, and you've been to all the extracurriculars, every student, when they are a young adult, will struggle with executive function. And executive function, to put it plainly, is the set of skills that help us get things done. It's the mental processes that tell us to get things done. And the demands that are required of a student in high school, whether they're in homeschool or not, exceed what their brains can do. (laughs) And part of that is not their fault. Part of it's because we ask a lot of them. Part of it might also be that we've scaffolded too much. You know, I think a lot of parents think, especially if they didn't get a lot of help when they were a teenager, they want to sort of make sure their kid has everything. And that's part of why. Yeah, I I am so guilty of that. (laughs) And homeschoolers have the opportunity to help their students in every possible way. Um, But sometimes that means that they don't have the skills to do things on their own. So those are some of the, the things that I see that are universal, but particularly for homeschoolers, I remember, you know, as I mentioned, I was 15 when I graduated and went straight to community college. And I had a great homeschool education. Academically, I was very prepared for the college environment, but I was not necessarily ready socially. And I don't just mean with my peers, I mean interacting with adults, I mean navigating the systems of the college of registration and payment and scholarships and all of that, I was not prepared for. So there is this big jump that we kind of expect students to go from having their schedule completely planned out. You know, even in homeschool, we say you have to do these five things. Here's the order I recommend. And I'm going to check on you in half an hour and make sure that all this is going well. You don't have that in college. Even if you're living at home and you're in a college environment, you don't have that kind of oversight. So it's something that can be kind of a shock for students um, when they get to the college environment or even the high school environment. It's amazing how we as parents try so hard to make sure that our kids are completely prepared. And what I am finding in my parenting, my twins will be 18 soon, um, is that we all parent kind of from our own deficit. So like you're saying, like, okay, so maybe our generation had a little bit less oversight, right? I mean, and I, it kind of sounds like probably my homeschool experience was very different than yours. I was left to my own. I sought out my education. I loved education. So nobody could stop me, right? Like nobody had to check on me. Um, But from that, I do feel like I have micromanaged my own children, even as they have done concurrent enrollment and being outside of the home. Because in my mind, this is what I would have wanted if I had, when I had been homeschooling and I have to constantly remind myself that they didn't have the same upbringing. So their need is not my need. And I know this is not groundbreaking, but as homeschool parents, I think sometimes it has to be reiterated. Like you are naturally parenting your children and preparing them out of what you experience. Their experience is not the same. Correct. And it's it's important to recognize that they're also growing up in a different world than we were when when we were kids. Um, you know, 
just homeschooling in general, like I said, two families in one town and we had to drive five hours to the once a year homeschool convention. (laughs) That was our only support. And now there's so much support that it's totally overwhelming. Like if you search for Facebook groups for homeschool, it's, you're going to get everything. Um, So in a way we have to figure out how our kids, how our students can get the individualized systems created for them and they need to be part of that process that work for them. Um, We have students who have different learning styles. We have a lot of neurodivergence that, you know, finally we're starting to recognize as a society. And we have people who are interested in different career pathways, but they're all going to have to take my history 101 class and they might not care. (laughs) Um, So we have to figure out how to get them to care about everything that they're involved in and sometimes how to push through and do the boring things. And then also how to take ownership of their education and their skill set. So when you're seeing these students come into your classroom and you're recognizing these this deficit, what what are some of the tips that you have that you share with your students? And then we can kind of talk about too the program that you created since you were seeing this so frequently. So if if I'm going to speak to my college classroom, one thing that they really struggle with is knowing how much time the course is going to take. So I would say to them, it's going to be, you know, and I have a whole calculation. I've got a video on this that I we can put in the show notes, but um, it's how to calculate the time that you need for a college course. And this is a good thing to practice for high school homeschoolers because they can see, okay, this semester, my history class is this many weeks and this is how much time I need to spend per week. And this is how I'm going to break it down, et cetera. So I do go through with them and encourage them to find time in their weeks. I have a lot of students who have care responsibilities. They have full-time jobs, et cetera. And this is also true of homeschool students who are dual credit or recent grads because they're often taking care of younger siblings. They're interning maybe at a company or they're working to pay for their education. So it is significant that they sit down and they find a time in their week. It's also important you know, as we want to have warm, open communication with our high schoolers, we want to have that same warm, open communication with our college students. So I wouldn't necessarily sit down with my sophomore in college and say, let's figure out, you know, the 10 hours a week that you need to study. But I would ask them to have an open conversation with you. You know, my students, I tell them, you need to tell your friends that between these two hours, you are not available. Your phone is off you can't do the dishes, you'll do them later, whatever it is, but you need to sort of, um, you know, arrange that time. So time management is a big thing. Um, Time blindness is maybe a term that is a bit newer, but that is the sense that when you think, oh, this thing is going to take five minutes, but it actually is a two hour task. Or conversely, it's a three hour task, or you think it's a three hour task, and it's a five minute task. So you put it off till the very last minute, right? So having a perception of time that's realistic is can be a pretty big game changer. And when it comes to emotional regulation, which is a big part of executive function, because that is a brain function, it comes from the frontal lobe. And again, it's around 25 that um, the frontal lobe is fully formed and that can vary based on, you know, neurodivergence as well as trauma and other factors. But so if a student is 
in college before 25, <laughs> they've got deficits there, right? So we have seen, you know, my spouse has uh, been a high school teacher for a long time. I taught college prep high school. I taught embedded ACT courses. Uh, I've taught in boarding schools. I've taught in a lot of different types of environments. And then my favorite is now what I've been doing for several years, which is community college. In all of those environments, I can almost set my watch to midterm when everyone is going to have a breakdown. <laughs> the students are going to come to me and they're going to say, I can't do it anymore. It's too much. I'm behind. My mom wants this from me. My job wants me to work more hours or, you know, I overcommitted or I wasn't prepared for this course and they just shut down. Um, some of my students will disappear for two weeks and not come back. And then they'll come back when they've like sort of composed themselves. But I tell them, you need to be communicating with me and the people in your life about what's going on. So emotional regulation is one of those things that can be practiced and it can be practiced on a micro level in high school to, to start with awareness. And that can be just, how are you feeling right now? Do a self check. Um, we use the feelings wheel, <laughs> you can Google that. Um, but, and my spouse and I use it too. It's not just for kids, um, but it helps you identify because you might be able to say, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Well, that's not really a specific feeling, right? Um, how can you break that down into something that is um, more specific? Once you have emotional awareness, then you can make a plan for how to deal with it. But if the midterm breakdown is coming, <laughs> then you need to be aware of what's leading to that as well. So practice that on a micro level in the high school situation. Make sure you have a good support system. Make sure that you're not overcommitted and um, be kind to yourself. That's a big thing for parents and our kids. When my daughter called me yesterday crying because there was a mix up with her schedule at school, and my first response is definitely cry. I mean, I think, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I just feel like tears are my soul's way of letting go of some of that overwhelm. So definitely cry. And then let's figure out what had caused the problem. And part of it is, I think, the fatalistic thinking of young adults because their frontal lobe is not fully developed. So they do need safe mentors in their life to walk them through some of these things. It's like, even though maybe it wasn't stuff that we talked about when we were kids, but now we know when we can do better. She felt like she dropped the ball somewhere. And, and so I was like, okay, well, let's get, before we think about the rest of the schedule, let's get rid of, let's get down to the bottom of that feeling, because that's going to make you feel insane if you can't pinpoint what had happened. So come to find out, she hadn't logged into her college email. And when she did, the class had been canceled just the week before. So she did do the, she did register for it. It was on her calendar. And now she knows why it has disappeared. But once you can kind of like take away that, oh my gosh, did I make a mistake that I, I don't like making mistakes, Lauren? I, <laughs> I don't know that a lot of people Same. do, but <laughs> some personalities can roll with it better than others. And then my daughter is very much like me. And so I was like, don't you feel better now that you know that you did do all the right steps and this was completely out of your control? You still feel out of control, right? You still have to come up with mm -hmm. a solution, but just taking away that one thing of Am I am I not paying attention? Did I do something and I didn't do it properly? It, it's like these little things that just 
immediately when you're already emotional about, you know, whether you're finishing up high school and in college or you're in college and you don't know what the next steps are, that's incredibly overwhelming emotionally for young adults. And then as parents, we feel it too. And we're trying to fix things, but we're trying to let them figure things out on their own. And and it's this dance that we do. But it's like if we can eliminate things that are causing extra stress um, and not not eliminating it for them, but helping them walk through the processes to find out how they can eliminate it for themselves. It, it's amazing that one thing changed the entire scenario for her. Well, and I think that that's a great example of how to handle it as a parent, because emotional regulation does not mean like a ro- you're a robot. It means figuring out how you feel and then being able to deal with the, with the feelings. Hey, podcast listener, Bookshark has a special offer just for you. Head to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five to request your $5 coupon that you can use on any purchase in the Bookshark store. Yep, anything. Again, that's bookshark.com slash podcast dash five. Don't forget the dash five. You can use your $5 off on a curriculum package, a hands-on kit, math, handwriting, spelling, or even a single book. It's up to you. So go to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five to get your $5 coupon. The $5 podcast listener coupon is limited to one per household, one coupon per order. I I think that's great. And, you know, I talk about how I was a procrastinator and I'm still a procrastinator, but I was a much worse procrastinator (laughs) in college because I'm a perfectionist. So I finally figured that was, I had this moment, I was 2 a.m. This is back when we still had computer labs. (laughs) So it was 2 a.m. They were closing the computer lab. They're kicking me out. I'm like, my paper's due the next day and the printer's not working. And I I was like, okay, this has to stop. I have to figure out what's going on. And I realized that I procrastinated because I'm a perfectionist. If I waited till the last minute, I had a reason for why I wasn't perfect. So once I figured that out, I was able to start earlier. I was able to just let it go. I was, you know, a 90 is fine. (laughs) An 85 is fine. Sometimes a 70 is fine if that's, you know, which is how I handled math. Um, But that for me was a big game changer. And, um, you know, part of the reason I'm so passionate about executive function is because I've taught students with so many various backgrounds for a long time. And my spouse and my child were recently, a couple of years ago, diagnosed with ADHD. And it was one of those things that it was kind of like this light bulb of like, oh, this is why this is hard, you know, and this is, this is what we can do about it. Because um, once you sort of know what's going on with your brain, and in the case of ADHD, it is a disorder. You know, my husband always says, I hate it when people say this is a superpower. It's a disorder. It's hard. <laughs> um, but there are ways to deal with it. And, uh, you know, in our case, it's a mix of medication and routines and uh, just a lot of grace. Um, but knowing all these things about ourselves will help us be a lot more gentle with ourselves. And then again, like I keep saying, we have to create systems that work for us. I worked with a student recently who for an entire year did not write down any any assignment. So we're it's one of my one-to-one clients. And I said, so you hate doing this, don't you? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, let's figure out a way for you to not hate it. Um, so through conversations, we figured out that he's really into graphic novels. Um, so I said, let's every 
class is a square of a graphic novel. And we came up with a character and we came up with a little sound cloud. And so this little character tells him what his assignments are for each class. So that was a total change because what his brain thought was, I can't do this. My brain doesn't work this way. I can't write down my assignment. So he didn't even attempt it. But once we figured that out, it was like, oh, my brain likes stories. My brain thinks this way. So now we're doing it this way. And it's a big change. So it's liberating to realize that maybe your professor or your parents in homeschool will say you need to put your stuff in a calendar this way. The important thing is you put it on a calendar. Is it an app? Is it, did you draw a giant mind map? Did you make a graphic novel? Whatever it is, it has to work for you or you won't do it. My youngest daughter refuses to write down things. And I <laughs> am a list maker and a box checker. So it frustrates me to no end. And as a homeschool parent, I find that everything I talk about, it always comes back to how I need to change my perspective and how I'm looking at things with my children as we're taking this journey. And so I keep saying, okay, I, I just don't know how you're not writing it down. It just, I, I'm trying to breathe through it myself because it doesn't make sense to me. But I also know that you don't always complete the tasks. So what we have yet to come up with the system. We're still, we're still kind of working in. And if first you don't succeed, try, try again. Right. I, I, I find that demanding things of my older children now really tends to backfire. And I really would rather partner with them to help them be successful as opposed to them just being obedient. And that's definitely not the type of parenting that I was modeled. And so it has taken, well, almost 18 years with my first two to really <laughs> try to understand that executive function isn't something that is natural to necessarily a lot of people. I mean, it's something that can be developed, but you have to be aware of it, right? You have to be aware that you don't have a process. And, and some people are just naturally, they make the list and it feels good and that works with their personality, but that's not everybody. And so as a parent, it's so frustrating, but it's important to recognize these things so that when our kids do get to college or outside of our home, you know, they are prepared, even if it's not the way we would have done it. Well, and I think that you make several good points there. <laughs> and I want to capitalize on the fact that you, you know, you say you want to partner with your kids, which is the best way to do it. Because, and sometimes, you know, my daughter and I think very differently. I have anxiety, she has ADHD. And so sometimes we're like speaking different languages. Um, so one of the things that has been successful for us and what I suggest to parents is to find someone who thinks like them, some kind of other mentor that has, a, particularly if you can find a recent college grad, this is, that's golden because they'll see, okay, this person is not a list taker, but they graduated, they did okay. What did they do? Right. Um, so that can be helpful because their kids always want to listen to someone besides us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and the other thing I would say is when we are trying to support our kids, this is something that I have learned to do with my students um, as well as with my own child is to not have hard starts. So that would be like, you know, the, they come in the door, I got your report card. What, what did you do? Like, how could you? Like, you know, whatever it is. Um, instead of to say, like, first of all, you, you reconnect. How are you? Um, but then with my students, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that 
you're struggling, what's going on? Like, let's find out the, I'm inviting them to tell me the emotional reason that things are going well. Right. Um, and it's also an opportunity for them to, because if I go go to them and I say, you haven't turned in the last two assignments, you're going to fail the course. That relationship is over. Right. So what we're trying to do is invite our students to come to us before things are dire. Right. Um, so this can be something that happens with a lot of first generation college students in particular, or maybe they've had, they've been homeschooled. And so they feel some pressure to succeed because they've had a different type of education than their peers is that they, they're not doing well in a class or they're not doing well at college socially. Uh, they're miserable, they're whatever, but they don't tell anybody and they just wait till the end of the semester until they've failed. Um, and failure is not the end. You know, I have students who have taken my class. I have a very proud of this, a student who just took my class for the third time. And he had a lot of emotional stuff going on. He had um, all kinds of issues that were or challenges, I should say. And he passed my class for the third time and we celebrated, you know, so failure is not the end. But also it's before that midterm breakdown, <laughs> let's have a conversation with our kids and say, how are things going? If you're struggling in this class, it's okay. If you're struggling socially, it's okay. So having that kind of safety net to put out for our kids in the beginning invites them to open up instead of to say, I'm just gonna, you know, I lost my financial aid because I failed a class and now I'm sleeping on my <laughs> friend's couch. So you won't know about it. It's a bit extreme, but it happens maybe more than you would realize. So again, that warm, open communication, trying to figure out what's going on emotionally, inviting them to help you help them <laughs> make it think it's their idea, right? Well, that in and of itself is a whole nother college course that I think all parents <laughs> would take if it were available to us. Lauren, I am so pleased to hear you giving homeschool parents permission to give grace. I think sometimes there's this outside pressure along with inside pressure when we choose to do something that's countercultural and then we feel the need to prove to those around us, whoever they are, that we made the right decision for our children, that we we didn't mess them up in some way. And so from the pressure out and the pressure in, we it boils over and, and our children are unfortunately kind of the the casualty that happens in that they're, they're in the, they're the force that, you know, that feels our force when it happens. So permission to give our ourselves grace, and then that there's nothing wrong with giving our children grace. And it really doesn't matter what anyone else says or thinks, because when everybody's 35 and in their career and has their own <laughs> families, if that's their, what they choose, like none of this stuff None of the pressures are going to matter, but it's what we do in the day-to-day, the relationship building that does matter. And it's the, you know, the reality of the matter is we've all done the best we can with the knowledge that we had. And so we need to give ourselves so much grace because we're learning as our kids are learning and the world is changing very quickly and maintaining a close relationship can be difficult and it can be feel like a mountain that we're climbing, but you just have to hang in there and be supportive. Um, the Because the students I know, you know, could be the first generation students whose parents don't speak English and they have very little context for the college experience. The ones that do better 
are the ones who have a close relationship with their parents and they can go to them and say, I'm struggling. They can go to them and whatever. Um, so that it is really significant, but you know, being homeschooled myself, sometimes I'll say to people, you know, I was homeschooled and they're sort of surprised. Um, not because they, they don't think it's legitimate, but it's like, Oh, but, but now you have a doctorate and you're, you know, doing this or whatever. I'm like, yeah. So you're right. Like once we get to a certain point, it doesn't matter. And we don't really need to compare ourselves to anyone um, in any situation. Um, you know, this is, this can be difficult if you have a neurodivergent child um, and they're being compared with their behavior or their, you know, you know, for my daughter, she's sometimes pulled out of situations so that she can get extra time or whatever it is. And I would encourage everyone um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, not a neurologist. So if you suspect any kind of learning challenge with your child, definitely go and get them, you know, assessed because it is a game changer. My husband was 40 when he got diagnosed and it's like, it's changed our whole life. Um, but my students who have their letters, there are uh, of accommodation, you know, that that has to be formalized. I have several students who have letters who never turn them into me. And because it's, they want to like start over when they're in college and prove that their dyslexia or their ADHD is not going to hold them back and they can just do it their own way. Don't make it hard for yourself, <laughs> you know, and make it so that I always say smart students ask for help. Successful students ask for help. All you're doing is getting the support that you need for the way that your brain works and the way that you need to have, um, have help. You know, I had a, a, but uh, like an assistant dog <laughs> in my class last semester. And I was like, this is great. Um, made everyone happier, right? So because that student took the steps that she needed to have her emotional support dog with her so that she could focus in class. So this is, it benefits everyone if you get the help that you need. Well, before we go, can you share a hack with our listeners? Yes. Um, just one. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things that with, you know, I've talked about executive function kind of in a sort of umbrella sort of way, but again, it's really the set of skills that help us get things done. It's the working memory, it which helps us remember um, processes. People with deficits in working memory can remember, you know, we're a big trivia family. So my husband can remember all kinds of trivia about like the 50 states, but he can't remember to like unload the dishwasher. Um, that's working memory, right? And it's something we joke about, but he, um, that's just, that's on the side. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it's its mental flexibility, it's emotional regulation. So on my website, I have an infographic that's called like the College Prep Essential Skills Infographic. What I recommend as a hack is to look at that infographic. It's I've divided it into skills of scholastic study, social um, and sensibility, which is the emotional part. So what I recommend is for you to take a couple weeks and write down executive function skills that your kids do really well. So for example, um, one of the one executive function skill is being able to sort of remember and also process what you've read. So if your child reads a book and tells you about it and has an opinion about it that's well-founded based on the text, 
Break that down, right? That because that's and let's put it in the positive category. If they were helpful to a sibling, put that in the sensibility, emotional regulation category. That's positive, right? Um, it can be really helpful for you as a parent to see, okay, maybe they're like again that fatalistic attitude of like nothing is working. <laughs> you know, you got to start with the positive, and then I would take another week to note down some areas of growth. And then I would not go to your child and say, I've been observing you like a weird scientist for the last couple of weeks, but to say, you know, I've noticed that time management has been a struggle and I wonder if there's some things that we could change or a, a way that I could help you. Can we change a system, et cetera? So that's my hack is to, to start observing these skills and then to pick just one or two things at a time that maybe you as a family can work on together. And maybe that's first you saying like you, Jenna, to say like, I, at the, I have a list. Why doesn't my kid have a list, <laughs> you know, to step back and um, maybe, maybe the first change is to change your perspective and then to think, okay, but there is still a gap. They're still not turning things in on time or the tasks aren't getting completed. So a list is not the answer. The problem is the tasks aren't happening. What executive function skill category can we work on to close that gap? I hear you saying is literature-based learning where we read to our kids and then have discussions and have them telling us the story back is a great way to build executive functions. Yes. And you can start, you know, we, we're not born with zero executive functions. You know, We all have them. They just need to be developed. And you start in kindergarten with um, you know, my kid loved that memory game, right? Where you put all the cards down and you pick up two. That's you're developing memory, and then you develop working memory from then. So, the book discussions, the memory games, the you know, all all I could go on and on, but there's a lot of things that you could do in elementary school to help your kids develop this. And you don't necessarily have to tell them that's what you're doing. <laughs> Um, but yes, all of those will help all the, there's a lot of things about homeschool that do help build executive function. And that's a, a positive thing. I want to say, it's just a matter of developing them and scaffolding them as they grow older, because like I said, the demands grow higher than the executive function skills are at a faster pace, I should say. So I think it's also natural as our children start to age, we stop playing memory games, right? We we kind of get away from reading aloud if you're not in a program like Bookshark that it's the forefront of the curriculum. And being intentional to continue and scaffold these very things are going to be so helpful for parents to continue to help grow their children in this area, which is an area that has not been growing maybe the the best way it can be. So Lauren, thank you so much for coming on today. How can our listeners learn more about what you offer uh, through your courses? The best way to get to me is through my website, alteringcourse.com. All my socials are on there. Like I said, the infographic is on there and all of my um, offerings are on there. I, I have executive function cohorts is what I call them. And you can join the waitlist at any time. They are virtual experiences for students and or parents. <laughs> and we do a lot of fun things in there to, to assess executive function skills, to help improve them, 
There's a lot of gamification involved. So those are fun sessions, but also you'll come away with some some really good skills and ways to continue to improve them. And then you had a special for our listeners that if they wanted to connect with you and and purchase something from you, what can they expect? So you can get 10% off any product that I offer with the code Bookshark. All right, you guys, you heard it here. Go to alteringcourse.com and learn more about what Lauren has available to help you and your student learn executive functioning and ways to improve what you already know your children have. Make sure to use the code Bookshark if you want to purchase something from her and we'll have all the informations, including the link to the infographic in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you guys. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com slash podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.